All right. Good morning, everyone, again. My name is Teresa Cornett. I'll give you a second to get resettled. My name is Teresa Cornett, and I've been a member of Grace Church for about 16 years. I'm a mom of four adult children, and I have two sons-in-law, a daughter-in-law, and three amazing and talented grandchildren. I've been married to my husband, Alex, for 34 years, um, and in my adult years, I've been a stay-at-home mom, a graduate student, a volunteer, and I worked as an elementary school teacher for 19 years. Since our pre-K and elementary students are joining us today, John Ray thought that I might have a few tricks up my sleeve with which to keep the audience engaged. So I was willing to see if I still have it. Since this summer, I've been working part-time at Grace as an unpaid staff member to help connect people with ministries and the life of Grace Church. And I've made it to the teaching team several times. The teaching team is a unique and wonderful thing that gathers at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. And I believe we are just realizing some of the deep and rich blessings of this model for infusing the Word of God into the people of our church and realizing transformation together. This past week, I was able to pick the brains of a doctoral candidate in the study of biblical languages, a retired higher ed teacher, a seminary trained teacher whose life has been devoted to ministry and missions, a businessman who specializes in team building, a former missionary to East Asia, a counselor who has many years of experience working with youth, a writer and editor, and one of the newest folks to go through Discovering Grace. The big round table at Onyx was full with men and women ranging in age from around 26 to maybe the 70s. And I think we are very privileged in our church body to have the opportunity to hear from varied voices as we journey together and discern what the Lord has for us. Even now, we have the opportunity to discuss this week's teaching together as we meet in grace groups or peruse the teaching guide independently. Each week, the teaching guide gets better and better, so make sure you're checking it out. See our website, gracechurchnwa.org, and look under the Grow tab for that. My hope as a teacher was that my students would be inspired to dig in and be self-motivated at the end of teaching time. So I hope today that you'll be hungry to study more and seek to apply what you're learning. And as always, please feel free to check the teaching that you hear today. Question it, mull it over, read the scripture, and ask the hard questions. When I was growing up in Katy, Texas, Friday night football was a big deal. We'd cram into the cold metal bleachers with our friends in this quickly growing school district, and we'd start a cheer that went something like this. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And we'd scream with these teen voices that had zero knowledge of permanent vocal cord, vocal cord damage or general obnoxiousness. And we would point at the opposing single A team who would then answer with the same cheer. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And after a few rounds of this back-and-forth screaming, we would unanimously declare ourselves as the louder victors, and we would take over the cheer dialogue with a continuous bullying chant, We've got more! We've got more! We were full of attitude and giddy on Dr. Pepper, immortality, and chili pies. Our mascot was cool, our district was wealthy, and the seniors of 79 were fine. The furthest thing from our mind was our own mortality or a need to repent from self-centeredness. This week, we'll be exploring the prophet Joel's message to Judah and to us today. Is there possibly a need for us to quit yelling at the other side, consider our hearts, and acknowledge the good gifts our Father has given us? 
And as Tina Turner so beautifully asked, what's love got to do with it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have together today in this season of Advent to worship you and your good gifts and to seek to love like you. I pray for your thoughts to be our thoughts and for my words to be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Today we'll explore three main questions. What does it mean to tear our hearts and return to God? How can we model God's loving kindness? Are we living differently because of the gift of the Holy Spirit? Our text today is from the book of Joel. In chapter 1 it says, This is the Lord's message that was given to Joel. So today let's begin with the belief that this is God's word for God's people. In chapter 1, Joel encourages the people to listen and to tell their children about what happened and for them to tell their children and then their children to the following generation. Joel paints a picture of utter devastation of crops from an invasion of locusts. Nasty little creatures. The locusts came in waves. Each attack, everything was being eaten and stripped bare. Joel calls the people to lament over this picture of calamity, the hunger, the consequences, and the lack of joy. In fact, he makes sure to call everyone, the old and the young, the farmer and the priest. He says, the day of the Lord is about to come. It is near. Going on to chapter 2, Joel commands the reader to blow the trumpet in Zion. Commentaries note this is not a smooth jazz Miles Davis kind of trumpet, but it's a ram's or bull's horn used to signal approaching danger. The sound would bring trembling and fear in the people. The prophet Joel shares a very disturbing vision of darkness and attack by enemies, scenes of destruction, and hearing the thunderous voice of the Lord. Let's read now the specific text we're studying this week as we continue our series of messages in looking for God's redemptive thread. Yet even now, the Lord says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and boundless in loyal love, often relenting from calamitous punishment. So who is Joel? His name meant Jehovah is my God, and his message as a prophet was to the people of Judah, and I believe useful for us today. In God's word, it says, return to me with all your heart. The Hebrew word used for return here is shub, which means to turn back, to return to. This is not so much a return based on emotion, but volition, which means an act of making a decision. He then instructs the people to tear your hearts, not just your garments. Now, all of we humans created in the image of God have a long history of leaving. Adam and Eve left the garden. The Israelites left their worship of the one true God and began worshiping a golden idol. Hosea's bride Gomer left him again and again in unfaithfulness. And Jesus' loyal disciples left him alone in the garden to pray while they slept, even after he asked them to stay and keep watch with him. Some of you teenagers may struggle with working things out in an argument. You may be tempted to leave, slamming a door, locking yourselves in a bedroom. We leave good relationships with each other in community. We let ourselves live in crippling isolation, and we lose who we are together. We have confused, divided hearts. In the returning, we are looking at who we are together. Leaving was subject to depression, unraveling, being enslaved. Now we're being called back to freedom, restoration, 
a beautiful tapestry in which a lot of different colors of threads and fibers are worked together. And they might look a little naughty and gnarly on the back, but when it's turned over, it displays a new creation of beauty. We might be returning to the Lord after a self-imposed time out, like the prophet Jonah gave himself. We might be exploring a return to God after being burnt in a ministry experience of some sort, and our wounds are still tender. As a friend said recently to me, ain't no hurt like church hurt. We can't let even this type of painful hurt keep us from walking along with others and our maker. Or maybe the idea of returning to the Lord is fresh, and you're a seeker who feels a nudging to know more about the one true God. For the Israelites, Joel's message was an encouragement to consider a model in which they could have a relationship with God and not have to go through a prophet, a king, or a superstar leader to express their emotions to him and to hear a call to ministry. For us today, it's a call to enjoy the peace of God described in Philippians 4-7 that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, kids, come on down to the carpet and have a seat. have a little game for us called Heart Stuff. And Mr. Alex, would you get us the contents of the love box from the baptismal ledge? All right. Miss Lily is going to be my victim, I mean participant here. And you want to skip back just a little bit so we can give her some room here. All right. So Lily is going to just hold as many of these pillows as she can. And these pillows, you might want to put your hands down like this, like really low, really low. Yeah. So all of these things are going to represent good things that you might be involved with. So we might have, you know, you've got to go to school. Um, you've, you have to uh, brush your teeth. Um, you might have some games on the iPad. You might have some favorite toys like Legos or Shopkins or whatever. There you go. You might have, um, what else are you kids into? Piano lessons, scouts. Whoopsie. Don't want to lose that. Thank you. All right. Are you doing okay over there? Okay. So um, now I have something really precious in this love box. This is something very, very precious and special to me. And so I'm going to ask you to hold this too. And so it's a very special, special glass nativity scene. This was the very first Christmas decoration that I bought when Mr. Cornette and I were married. And I love the beauty of it when we put little candles behind Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Maybe you could hold it carefully if you could let go of some of that stuff. <laughs> oh. That's nice how carefully you're letting go of your stuff there. Yeah, you can let go of that stuff. So maybe you need to clear off some stuff out of your schedule. Stuff. <laughs> there, hold it very carefully. Remember, it's precious to me. Precious, very precious. All right, so this represents Christ. And so um, I have some sacks for you all to take back to your seats. And inside every one of your sacks is a little bit of fluff. And I'm going to have, for your homework, I want to challenge you to discuss with your family what kind of fluff you might need to rid yourselves of this holiday season. Then, only with adult supervision, of course, you could throw this fluff into the fireplace or trash can. And um, you can go ahead and take your bags back to your seat. Thanks, Miss Lily.
And thank you for your good listeners. My goodness, what a bunch of model children you are. Grace Church, where the children are above average. And the, we seriously do have a long history here of overachievers. We do. We do. Okay. You can see when you go look, open it up. Um, Kevin and Linda Murphy and their Grace Group family are going to come up and light the Advent candle for us. Just a side note while they're coming up, when I was a kid in my very formal church in my hometown, they always had a very perfect nuclear family, mom and dad, couple of kids, come up and light the Advent candle. When I was 14, my mom passed away. It was just me and my dad. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I kind of wish that I was that. So um, today, we have a very nice representation here of another picture of family. You might have seen them helping Carol Ann get the kids in this morning and heard Terry's testimony about how wonderful this family's been to her. So um, last week we lit the first candle, which represents hope. Today we light the second candle, which represents love. From Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, which is not partial, who is not partial, and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. From the Gospel of John we hear, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13, 34-35. Let's pray. Teach us to love, O Lord. May we always remember to put you first as we follow Christ's footsteps, that we may know your love and show it in our lives. As we prepare for our celebration of Jesus' birth, also fill our hearts with love for the world, that all may know your love and the one whom you have sent, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Murphy Group. Murphy Pruitt Group. Speaking of love, in verse 13, Joel writes, Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and boundless in loyal love, often relenting from calamitous punishment. Let's remind ourselves of some truths here. Our one true God is merciful. Time and time again, he shows mercy, which is compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I'll bet you've all seen the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Ugh. The Grinch looked a little bit different from his fellow citizens in Whoville, so after being teased and made fun of, he decided to live up on a craggy mountain in isolation with his sweet little dog. His heart shrunk up a few sizes, and he cooked up an evil plan from his garlicky soul to steal all of the presents, the Christmas trees, the roast beasts, and other fine foods, and to ruin the Who's Christmas. The Grinch is shocked to hear singing in celebration coming from town on Christmas Day. And in the end, he's shown mercy and compassion as little Cindy Lou Who continues to loyally love him and encourage him to change. The Hebrew word hesed is one of the most important in the Old Testament, and it lies at the center of the Lord's self-revelation of his attitude toward his people. 
One Messianic rabbi who is featured as a resource in the teaching guide this week said that you can't pronounce it with just an H at the beginning. Has said, it's a throat gurgling said. And he said, if you're not spitting on the person in front of you, you are not saying it correctly. So let's try it. Ready? said. Again, said. Good job. In this week's blog post on our church website, Donnie Epp eloquently writes about God's unique loving kindness, the sure love that will not let Israel or us go, the steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word for loyal love. Hesed always goes the extra mile. It is inclusive and not exclusive. Psalm 33.5 says, The earth is full of God's hesed. It doesn't matter how far we try to run away. Romans 8.38-39 says, Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God gives us picture after picture, example after example in his word of his merciful, redeeming, extravagant, and eternal love. There's an ongoing redemptive searching for us by God, a stunning story exemplified in the parables of the lost. In Luke 15, 1 through 32, we can read about the examples of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. Dr. Ken Bailey writes, What Jesus has done is adopt the notion of repentance implicit in the psalm. Repentance is not so much turning as being turned, not so much finding myself as being found in him. Are we open to being found and defining others? Or are we more comfortable sitting in parched desolation and moaning with others about what a horrible, horrible downturn our society is taking? Are you beating yourself up with thoughts that you're not good enough to deserve such love and grace from a God who will not give up on us? As we tear our hearts to return to God, we see a consistent rhythm of redemption in the Bible. There's a dramatic tearing of the veil in the temple as described in Matthew 27:51, and the violent tearing of Christ's body so we could have a way to the Father. Still today, we found we are challenged to tear down barriers that keep us from loving and understanding others. Throughout the Old Testament, the meaning of said remains unchanged from that found in the first examples. In Genesis 19:19, as the Lord looks upon us, his hesed is rooted in his grace. It combines the ideas of love, commitment, duty, and care. It is explicitly linked with truth, being true to oneself, truthfulness, reliability, so there's a stress on loyalty with which love acts. The Lord's hesed leads him to redeem his people. It is patient and inexhaustible. Psalm 118, 1 through 3. Three says his love endures forever. Jesus made it clear when asked about the important things that our job is to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to love him lavishly and try to love others like he does. One commentary noted the word has said has the same triangularity as the word agape in the New Testament. Make a triangle with your hands. At the top, Picture the Hesed love of how the Lord feels and acts towards his people. You might picture the star that was a sign about Christ's birth shining here above the roof of the stable. Now picture on the lower left part of your triangle how the Lord's people following his example should act towards him. And in the lower right-hand corner, how we should love other people. Taking the whole evidence of the Old Testament, Hesed holds together the ideas of love and loyalty. It has no other motive. 
In 2004, Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, in which he identifies ways of showing and receiving love. His premise is that we feel loved well when someone gives us a gift, spends quality time with us, affirms us with their words, touches us, or serves us. He has five versions of his love languages, or has versions of the five love languages for couples, for teens, for children, those in the military, and even applications for the workplace. You might take the quick online quiz at five, the number five, lovelanguages.com to find out your own love language and to quiz your family, members, and friends. Once we have this information and share it, it can be a challenge to step outside of our comfort zones to lavishly love in ways that we don't really prefer. What about our call to love God? Do we spend quality time with Him or squeeze Him in when we're not busy with other things? Do we give Him our gifts of time, talents, and resources? Do we need to consider how we can better be his hands and feet to touch a hurting world this week? Do we affirm him by praising his many divine attributes in prayer, singing, speaking, or journaling? Do we serve in a way that is selfless but not draining because we root that service in love? When it comes to loving others, what about those whom it seems impossible to love? Our fallen world leaves us with a difficult group of folks to love. My recent Facebook survey of the difficult to love included the following— the narcissist, the manipulative, dishonest, gaslighters, triangulators, the passive-aggressive, those who seem to be constantly taking and not giving, the self-absorbed, the liberal, the conservative, or worse yet, the family member who chooses to stay in an abusive situation rather than freeing the rest of the family and seeking safety, the abuser or someone who hurts one of our own children. You preteens and teenagers have probably had some a friend who let you down, or have experienced some sort of hurt on social media. This is not an easy Sunday school, come on and just love everyone kind of fix. Sometimes we have to set boundaries, separate for a season, take a social media fast, and trust God to restore and protect. It's probably in recognizing our own sinful nature and our own forgiveness that we can best begin to take baby steps in loving the unlovable. One year when I was teaching, I had a student who would blow up and become angry, often when upset that his or her work couldn't be done perfectly. I tried being kind and patient and creating a safe zone so that being imperfect was okay. Still, the child would become angry and frustrated. And during one of our sessions out in the hallway, my student yelled, I hate you. I can't do it. It's just too hard. I looked the student in the eye and I said, well, I love you and there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you and thinking that you are talented and wonderful. For just a moment, this child looked shocked and stilled, and in a blink, the student took back the angry, angry posture again and growled at me, showing the whites under the irises of their eyes. I relied on God and my calling to teach that year more than any other in my career. Indeed, I needed his strength to go back and offer this wounded student a merciful, fresh start every day. We made baby steps in getting the work done, but future behaviors made me absolutely confident that this student knows that they were loved and cared for in our school. Possibly you were someone who was hard to love at some point in your life. Was there a person who acted on a nudging of the Holy Spirit to love you with a loyal and hopeful love? If you were that way, like me, I hope you have taken the opportunity to thank that person. God's forgiveness offered to us is a tremendous act of love. As parents, partners, and friends, we can offer the chance for an offender to have a restart to put a bad day to bed and voice that God's mercies are new every morning. 
My nephew Dayton calls it a do-over. I hope we can all be people who embrace a do-over. I'll give you an example of a practice of forgiveness that we used as our kids were growing up and that I used with conflicts when teaching. All right, do I have two kids who would volunteer to come up? Okay. All right, come on up, Missy, and how about Esther? All right, so you two stand on the rug facing each other. You don't ever want to turn your back to someone in TV land. You always kind of scan the crowd. There there you go. All right. A child might voice an offense committed by the other. For example, she called me a bad name. After we found out if this was true, so let's pretend it's, let's pretend it's you, because you seem harmless, really. So Esther called you a bad name, and I found out, unfortunately, it's true. All right. So I would ask you to apologize to her. Okay, this is a fact of my vast 19-year experience and the child raising of 11, so that's a long time. Every single person just goes, sorry. Okay, so after this, I would say, uh, no, you need to have a full sentence there, something like, I'm sorry, and finish it out. Okay, so, I'm sorry I called you a bad name. Are you just going to stand there and look at her? Okay, most of the people would say, it's okay. They would mumble, it's okay. And so then I would say, no, it's not okay, and it never was okay for her to call you a bad name. The correct reply is, I forgive you. So let's practice it again. And then you say, thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Have a seat. You guys are wonderful. (laughs) This isn't just a practice for kids, but for all of us. We can be superheroes of the faith like the forgiving Moses or forgiving and forsaken brother Joseph. We can be the parent who doesn't give up on a wayward adult child, not enabling them, but endlessly loving. In Joel 2, 28 through 29, it says, After all of this, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your elder, elderly will have revelatory dreams. Your young men will see prophetic visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. One commentator says that Joel was the prophet of religious revival. He knew revival must follow repentance. There's another call before these verses in verse 15 to blow the trumpet in Zion, to declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. This trumpet is not an alarm, as in verse 1, but a call to religious gathering. Joel was the first to prophesy the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. In Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is described. Peter references Joel in acknowledging that God promised that the gift of Holy Spirit would come. People were amazed and perplexed at the sound like a blowing wind and a vision of what appeared to be tongues of fire that came to rest upon the believers. Acts 2.14 says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Ending with verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice the democratic nature of this dispensation in the text. Sons and daughters, young and old, if this doesn't speak to the valuing of all individuals, I don't know what does. My friend John Farthing is quoted as saying that he didn't want people to look at children and teens in his church and hear they're the church of tomorrow, but that they're part of our church today. What gifts do we all have that once we put our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit? Like the best school teacher, I'll suggest that once you finish your love languages test, you can move on to a spiritual giftings test. There are many available, and we listed one option for adults and one for teens on the teaching guide this week if you'd like to check it out. Let's then seek to serve each other and our community with these gifts. Let's plan our weekly calendars and lifestyles so that we have prepared him room. Room to listen to that gentle nudging, the name of someone and their need placed on our minds, to leave space so that we can act on those nudgings to encourage, exhort, love, comfort, and speak truth. Think back to the picture of that extreme locust destruction. While we may not have an external condition like this in our town or nation, could we possibly have devastation in our own souls and hearts? Maybe your problems are surmounting and you feel as if you're just getting bombarded with one letdown after another. Maybe relationships are draining you dry and you're yearning for some fresh water, some rest, and new growth. Tear your heart and return to him. The love that motivated the first advent or coming of Christ will motivate the second advent. Until then, we are to be a part of the slow kingdom coming. I'm reading a book right now of that same title, Slow Kingdom Coming by Kent Anon. In it, the author says, We long to know God, to love God, and to be loved by God. Jesus gave the beautiful vision of finishing our life and then hearing from our loving creator, Well done, good and faithful servant, from Matthew 25, 21. We won't hear these words because we earned them, but we hope because we accepted the invitation of grace to participate with God in the kingdom coming. And we can commit to practices that ensure our efforts help others well and also transform our own lives. As I said before, my new role is getting people activated in the life of Grace Church. There are many opportunities for us to be in community with each other. There are grace groups that meet throughout the week, and we're ready to kick off some new ones soon. There could even be a virtual group for those of you who are out of town and can't meet physically. We have opportunities to serve each other and a dream to be even better at serving others in our community. You can check out our Sign Up Genius site to find out just a small list of gifts that we need. Some recent calculations from observing our attendance have shown that one out of every seven of us is under the age of three. We need many hands and hearts in the nursery and kids' rooms and people who can help to encourage young and exhausted parents. I'd love to meet with you over coffee and help you get plugged in and to hear more about what you need to recognize your giftings from the Holy Spirit. We have a holy time set aside now in which to ponder and respond to today's message. The communion table is set, a reminder that on the night that he was betrayed, one of the most painful hurts, Jesus modeled a new celebration for his followers to remember the Passover with the sacrifice of his shed blood and his body given for us to do this in remembrance of him. 
This table is open to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Come as you feel led. We'll also have a chance to speak a love language to God and give back our gifts that will in turn be used to serve our community. There will be a special offering box at the back in front of the sound booth if you want to show love and make a donation for an incoming refugee family. And if you need to turn an undivided heart to God for the first time or to return wholeheartedly and quit screaming at the other side, come pray with someone at the back of the room or even back in the library around the corner if you would like as you prepare to repent, worship, and celebrate, give and receive, and rest in his love this Christmas season.